evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each year, Pat hosts an apologetics conference located in beautiful Hawaii. Today, we are continuing our broadcast with another fabulous teaching from Greg Kokel entitled, Truth is Not Ice Cream. Interesting title, but don't miss this one. It provides you with a great view of our culture and how we relate. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our guest speaker, Greg Kokel, with a message entitled, Truth is is not ice cream part one. About 10 years ago, I took a flight from Dallas-Fort Worth to Jacksonville, Florida, and the fellow sitting next to me opened his computer, and there was a big bug on it. And I don't mean there was like a bug inside his computer. That might happen in Hawaii. You know, when you open, there's a bug running around. This was a picture of a big, giant bug. And so I concluded from that that this guy was on his way to the University of Florida, Jacksonville there, and he was probably a bug doctor, and that is an entomologist. So I started talking to him about it, and turned out that was his conviction. And I began drawing him out with questions and learning more about his own views and why he happened to get into entomology. And he said, well, I used to, I used to work for the city's department of public health. That's how he got interested in bugs. Another joke that's too early in the morning to tell, apparently. But as we were talking, I was getting a picture of the way he thought. Remember we talked about yesterday about drawing people out with questions. I had no idea if I'd ever go anywhere with this person. He was certainly out of my ken in a certain sense. I can't talk on the level he can talk as a PhD in uh, entomology, bugs. But I could see if there was going to be an opening for me. And as we talked, and he explained himself, and I got to share a little bit of my own views in a kind of casual way, um, there were two important things that came out of that conversation that I want you to think about for the time that we're spending together in this first session this morning. And the first one was that he pointed out there were lots of people in his field, which is largely biology, who were religious folk but who still held his evolutionary understanding of the development of life, okay? So, oh yeah, well, you're, you're kind of religious. Well, I, I got a lot of religious friends that are in my field and do what I do and believe what I do. And he didn't see any conflict with that because they had made peace with this. And this doesn't mean that they had made an integration like Pat was talking about yesterday, where they were taking their understanding of science and they were integrating it into their Christian worldview. No, they hadn't made an integration. They had just made peace with the fact that they lived in two worlds, okay? This is the split that Pat was talking about, the secular sacred split. In other words, during their work week, they functioned like atheists because they were working with the facts of science which they presumed pointed to the fact of Darwinian evolution. Now, as Pat mentioned, there are a lot of things that are problematic about that view. I'm not taking that on now. I'm just simply saying that's their view. Yet, as Christians, when they show up in church on Sunday, 
they could worship God and read the Bible and read Genesis, and there was no conflict between the two because they lived in two different worlds, so to speak. And basically, when it came to the issues of faith, I should say the issues of science, that was the realm of fact and knowledge. And when it came to the realm of religion, this is the realm of faith and belief. And they were two entirely separate realms. And I think when you get the picture of how people think about this, as exemplified by the bug doctor on the airplane to Jacksonville, Florida, I think you're going to begin to understand why we have some conflict in our culture with trying to communicate our convictions. So a lot of things that we do in a session like this, is we, or in an event like this, is we are passing on information or we are passing on techniques, uh, tactical techniques or information about how to deal with challenges and questions. Very important. But we also do a third thing. Sometimes we are trying to help you get a perspective. We're trying to help you to stand back from the culture a little bit and see what's going on. I am going to do that a little bit here. I will be doing that in my final session today. So that by seeing what is going on, you will be able to position yourself a little more effectively in the cultural conversation about these things. So what I want to do in this session is largely clarify something important regarding the cultural conversation. And this clarification has to do with the notion of truth and the notion of faith. The notion of truth and the notion of faith. Let me make the clarification by offering a claim that I want you to think about and respond to. Okay, here is the claim. Hagendas. Oh, a whole bunch of heads just popped right up when I said that. Hagendas, butter pecan ice cream is delicious. Okay, so I've just made a statement. It's a proposition. Propositions are either true or false. How many people here think that the statement, Haagen-Dazs butter pecan ice cream is delicious, is a true statement? Let me see your hands. Okay. Those who don't, keep your hands up for a second. I want you to look around at the people who have their hands up. Okay. All those weirdos. All right. <laughs> Actually, my hand is up because I think it, that's, that's my, my view too. Okay. Now, there were a lot of people who didn't raise their hands. And apparently, you do not believe that it's true that haagen butter pecan ice cream is delicious. Now, when you looked at the people who raised their hand who said it was delicious, and you noted that they were taking the opposite side on this issue than you, did you have any kind of ill will towards them? No. Did you think, wow, what's wrong with them? Did you think, were you tempted to think they were wrong in their view which was opposite from you when you thought your view was right. Were you tempted to think they were wrong? No, you weren't. And now, isn't this odd? Because we have a proposition, Haagen-Dazs butter pecan ice cream is delicious. That is either true or false. It can't be both true and false. That would be a violation of the law of non-contradiction. Yet when people said that it was true, that 
Haagen-Dazs butter pecan ice cream was delicious. You looked at them, and holding the opposite view, you didn't think they were opposing you. Why is that? Well, there's a secret here. Or it's not really a trick, but it's an insight. When we make a claim like I did, Haagen-Dazs butter pecan ice cream is delicious, we are not actually talking about the ice cream. We are talking about ourselves. And so when we say Haagen-Dazs butter pecan ice cream is delicious, what we mean is that it tastes good to us. And so somebody can set up on the other side and disagree, and they're not actually saying you're wrong, they're just saying it doesn't taste good to them. So in this particular case, the statement Haagen-Dazs butter pecan ice cream is delicious is true for some of you, but not true for other people. It is true for the person who holds that view. It's their like or their preference or something like that. It is no, here's another way of saying it is true for the subject, that is the individual who states that, but it is not true for a different subject who doesn't share that preference. So watch this now, because I'm going to give you a tool. I'm going to give you a label to help you understand something. If you followed me so far, when you have a statement that is true for the subject, that is called a subjective truth. Also called a relativistic truth, meaning it is true relative to the subject. Notice it has nothing to do with, uh, with ice cream. It has to do with the tastes or the preferences or the likes of the person making the statement. We have a subjective truth. And by the way, given subjective truths, we wouldn't be inclined to say something like, you're wrong for not thinking that Haagen-Dazs butter pecan ice cream is delicious. You're a sinner because you don't think Haagen-Dazs butter pecan. You're going to hell because you don't think Haagen-Dazs butter pecan. You see, it's not that kind of a statement. And this is why you chuckle when I say that because that's bizarre to suggest somebody is wrong or a sinner or going to be punished because they don't have the same personal preference that you have. Now, I want you to hang tightly on to that insight because I'm going to change my question a little bit. I want you to see another side to this coin. What if I change my question to say, Haagen-Dazs butter pecan ice cream is a medication that cures diabetes. Don't you wish, right? Now, how many people think that is true? Okay, good. Usually we have one knucklehead in the audience. No takers, all right. How many think that that is a false statement? All right. Now, if there was that knucklehead who raised their hand and you saw him, what would you think about his point of view? You would think his point of view was what? False. Because it turns out this statement is different than the other statement, where the other statement was not a statement about the ice cream, it was a statement about the person, and therefore it was neither right nor wrong, true nor false in any deep sense. 
It just depended on the individual subject who held it. When we start talking about diabetes, well, now we got something entirely different. We are not talking about what's going on inside of us, our personal preferences, and what we like or we don't like. Maybe if you are diabetic, you would love that Haagen-Dazs ice cream had a salutary effect on your condition, but we know otherwise. And so if somebody says it does, we know that they're not speaking truthfully. Their statement is not true. It's false. Why is it false? Because the nature of, watch this, nature of the object, that is what the ice cream itself is capable of doing, is what's in question here. It's a statement about that thing out there. And having a, a change of mind about it ourselves, maybe some of us would think, oh man, that, that could work. I'm gonna give it a try, okay? Is that going, is the belief itself going to change the medicinal quality of Haagen-Dazs ice cream? No, it's not. Because the object is what it is. And if it's not true that Haagen-Dazs ice cream can control diabetes, then no amount of personal belief is going to change that because that's something that is true about the object irrespective of what the subject thinks, okay? So when you have a claim that is accurate regarding the object itself, regardless of what subjects happen to think, that claim or that truth, if the claim is true, that truth is called an objective truth, okay? So now I've just given you some vocabulary words. They're words that you've heard a lot floating around, but I'm trying to nail them down for you. And notice, by the way, I am avoiding the word absolute. I think the word absolute is very confusing for most people. Most of the time when Christians, even speakers, get into this discussion, they start employing the word absolute. I would recommend you do not use that ever. It has all kinds of shades of meaning that create confusion. These two words are very straightforward. Something that is objectively true is mind independent. That means it doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not, it still is what it is. Something that is subjectively true is dependent on the subject, therefore it's mind dependence. It's dependent on my mind or my attitudes or my beliefs. Okay? So we have in our culture now, according to ordinary parlance, the way we talk about things, and we talk about these things and we do not think about them. What I'm doing is just stopping and looking at these things and thinking through what we mean when we say things. Most people don't think this way. They have absorbed these definitions from the culture and they just use these words, okay? And so they will talk about something being true in the deep sense, what I mean the objective sense, and if that's the case, it is the, it is the case whether people believe in it or not. Gravity's like that, okay? Gravity's true, right? Now what's gonna happen if you don't believe in gravity? Are you gonna just float away? No, gravity still asserts its force on you. Now you can change your mind anytime you want about your preference in ice creams or any other dessert for that matter because it's a different kind of truth. It is not an objective truth. It is a subjective truth. But when it comes to objective truths, they are what they are regardless of anyone believing in them.
So here we have two different terms, two different ways that people in our culture use the term truth. Now, I'm just going to say that this is over the last 50 years, the language has been used this way, and it's kind of a distortion of the language. I'll get into that in a little bit. Subjective truth isn't any truth at all, but it's not really, but it's the way people talk, so I want you to understand how they talk, okay? In our culture right now, when the topic of truth comes up, there are two completely different ways of seeing things, either truth as ice cream or truth as insulin. And insulin is the thing that can help you if you're diabetic. Truth for me and truth for the way the world actually is in itself. Subjective truths or objective truths. Now I want to cast this out for you. Once we have this kind of conceptual apparatus in place a little bit, what difference does it make? In our culture, Western culture, by and large, it has not always been this way. It has only been this way for the last two to three hundred years since the Enlightenment. But Americans think of religion and morality like an ice cream kind of thing, whereas they think of science as an insulin kind of thing. When it comes to the scientific things that we learn, well, that's real knowledge about the real world. But when it comes to the issue of religion and faith, that's not real knowledge. What is that? That's belief. That's faith. And in fact, generally, if you use the word faith, which I almost never use it, for this problem, people are always going to subconsciously add some words to it. Words like blind or leap of, because they are convinced that when you have faith in some religious principle or some moral concept, it has nothing to do with reality. It ain't like science. You know that kind of stuff, because you have empirical knowledge about that. But when it comes to Faith stuff, forget about it. That's, that's just in a realm of personal preference. And so when you choose an ice cream or things that are like ice cream, like morality or religion, you choose what you like, what you prefer, what you enjoy. Did you ever hear anybody ever say, I've decided to be a Buddhist because I like Buddhism. I like that. I've heard it a lot. Now, of course, we're in Hawaii now, so you have a lot more Buddhism that's part of the culture. But back in the mainland, it's not so much part of the culture. It's something people choose because, you know, uh, Richard Gere is a Buddhist, you know, and they see the Dalai Lama and they say, I like those guys. So I'm going to choose a religion I what? Like. A religion that tastes good to me. The issue of whether the religion is true in the objective sense doesn't even come up. It's not on the meter. And in this culture, people choose religion and ethics like they choose ice cream according, ice cream according to taste, what they like, just like the bug doctor. Science gives us facts. Religion is just for faith, feelings, fantasy makes us feel good. This is why I titled the book that I talked about last night, The Story of Reality. This is the problem that I... I 
I, I began with. This story is going to be misunderstood. It's going to mis be misunderstood even by Christians because there is a profound tendency of everyone in our culture, including people who sit in churches all the time, to think of their belief system as their spiritual fantasy club. Marx called it, now here, when I say Marx, I mean Karl, not Groucho. Karl Marx, the founder of socialism and communism, Communist Manifesto, one of the most significant players in Western history because he influenced so much of world history, said that religion is the opiate of the people. In other words, it's the drug you take to make you feel better. When Christians, I'm just talking about Christians right now who do this, when we approach our religion in the subjectivistic kind of way, in the feel-good kind of way, for one, theology takes a back seat. That's knowledge and information. I'm not here to become more knowledgeable about God. I just want to feel God, okay? So we get largely into an experiential kind of thing. But what ends up happening is that practice of religion becomes like a pill. What do they call those? A placebo, okay? So it's a placebo. For many Christians in our country, people are sitting in churches all the time, and I'm not saying they're not genuine or they don't love the Lord, or I'm not even saying they're saved. I'm just talking about their attitude. Their perspective is that they are using God to soothe something subjectively in their lives. The issue of the truth of their convictions is not even on the table, which is why they can't answer when someone says, why do you believe this is true? How did you come to that conclusion? Our second Columbo question, they can't answer that. Now, I think the Holy Spirit sovereignly brings a lot of people into the kingdom without them having other reasons for it. I think that's legitimate. But do you see the liability that it places those people at? The liability is they are grounded now in subjective things, not objective things. And that's the kind of stuff that resonates with them, okay? Guess what other religious group is grounded in subjective things and not objective things? The Church of Jesus Christ for Latter of Latter-day Saints. How do they know their religion is true? Because they have an experience. So experiences can mislead because Mormon th doctrine has no comparison to Classical Christian doctrine, they have the same language. Every definition is different. There is no crossover between a single piece of Mormon doctrine and classical Christian doctrine. That's why they're a separate religion. Now, I'm not putting them down. I'm just making an observation. If all you're left with is your subjective placebo, then when times get tough, you don't know whether your convictions are sound or not. And times do get tough. If all you're left with is a placebo, what happens when somebody with a maybe a more powerful feeling placebo comes along? And usually, by the way, for young people, it is not the LDS missionary. It's some good-looking girl or good-looking guy on the campus of the University of Hawaii. That's the alternative subjective rush that is being offered, and so our people fall like dominoes.
Why? Because they have got, they've accepted a cultural pattern that views morality and religious convictions as mere ice cream type preferences. All right? I was on a radio show in the ABC affiliate Los Angeles many years ago. They were a, a rabbi, a Roman Catholic priest, Protestant, and uh, a, a talk show host who is Jewish. This is back in the 80s. The talk show host was Dennis Prager. Some of you know him because he's got a fairly well-known radio show now. He's conservative Jewish intellectual, a, a very uh, observant Jew, but very friendly to evangelicals. On this particular day, though, Dennis wasn't there or someone else was sitting in for him, and a caller called in to ask the panel, how do you choose a religion? And the rabbi said, choose a religion that you like. That's what the rabbi said. Now, when he said that, is he talking about religion being ice cream or insulin? Ice cream. Once again, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps at a conference, please give him a call. Local number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on the homepage. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Oh,